0: Would you open your Bibles to the Book of Revelation? You know, you know, you know why I can get away with this because you see who's not in this room right now—my wife. So if we could kind of keep that like between us, that'll make the drive home a lot more uh, easy. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, or Book of Revelation, let us uh, let's pray. God, um, sorry about that. Would you go with us today, Lord, and show us what you would have for us in your word, and uh, awaken the possibilities in us that this, uh, this isn't just a book. This is 66 different books by 40 different authors that you've brought together into this amazing thing that we call the Bible. Uh, pray for your word to be a light, to be a lamp, to make clear our path today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you've been around uh, for the last uh, while, we've been taking the scenic route through Revelation, which I thought might be a good time to actually review just real quick for those of you just joining us, or those of you like me that forget stuff. I don't know what it is, we've talked about it before, but it's almost like, I don't know if it's the devil or who, but somebody puts like one of those magnetic strips across every one of these doors, so when you walk out, like you forget everything you just heard, So I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard that maybe, I don't know, it's the NSA, but somebody's making us forget. So we're going to go back and review really quick because Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Uh, There's an idea that it's hard, that it's complicated, and that's the reason everybody avoids it like the plague, which is funny, though. If you ask a young man or young woman who just got saved, and I've asked this question before. It's one of my favorite questions to ask. You've just come to the Lord, uh, maybe those especially that didn't grow up in the church, and I always, have one of my questions, you know, what was the first book you read? You're like, I'd open up the Bible, I didn't know. You, some, you know, you, in the old days, you, they always seemed like they'd start at the beginning. But you'd be surprised at how many will say, well, I went to Revelation because I figured I've missed so much already, I don't want to miss anything. So I'm going to the end to figure out how this all ends. So spoiler alert, this is Revelation. Uh, it's a book that, that it's kind of sad that we avoid because in honesty, when you look to this Book, it just sews together the Old Testament so beautifully. It takes all these pieces, everything from Hosea to Ezekiel to Genesis to Leviticus and puts it together in this like a mural, so to speak, taking all the different paints from it. It's not hard. The lie is that it's hard. And I think the lie is that it's hard because it's the only book in the Bible that has the audacity to promise a blessing to those who would read it, keep it, hear it. That's Revelation 1:4. And it's not hard because when you look to the first chapter itself, God knew there'd be guys like me that would need to understand, that might need a little extra help to understand. And so what he does is gives us this divine outline. Like if you follow the book according to the outline that God himself lays out in it, it is not hard at all. He tells him right there to write the things which you have seen. That's in Revelation 1 verse 19. And what did he see? You see it right there in in chapter 1. Is He sees what? He sees Jesus. Write which you have seen. It doesn't have to be legible. He sees Jesus. And in chapter 1, that's what we see. This glorified picture of Jesus. That's what he sees. He says, write those things which are. And when you look for what are, what is, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, is the church. These seven letters to the seven churches, and if you haven't been around, maybe you go back and listen in. I believe that it not only was, it was seven letters to seven literal churches that literally existed, but when you look at it and put it on the grid of history, and if they were in any other order, it wouldn't work this way, but in the order that they are written, in the order it's dropped in there, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it literally represents the seven periods of church history starting at the very beginning of Jesus and leaving the earth and the early disciples to today in our church today. So the things that are, which is the church. And then he says, the things which will take place after this. And if you have been around here, <laughs> number one again, <laughs> the things that are after this, the Greek word is the word metatauta. And it is literally... In order, right after this, chapters 4 through 22 are the things that take place after this. Write those things which you've seen, chapter 1, Jesus. You see Jesus. Write those things which are, chapters 2 and 3, the church, the church age right now. And those things which are to come, meta those things which are coming after this, chapters 4 through 22. This is not a hard book to understand. If you take it in the order that it was written, the chronological order that is laid out for us, chapter 4, verse 1 begins with the words, metatauta, after this, after these things. He says, write those things which are to come after this. Chapter 4 begins with that. And what we see in chapters 4 and 5 is the church is in heaven. You will not see the church mentioned again in Revelation because they are in heaven, Chapters 4 and 5 is the moment where we as the church are caught up. We're with him in the air, and we're taken away for that seven-year honeymoon. But meanwhile, back on earth, chapters 6 through 19, is the time that the Bible would refer to as many different names, the time of Jacob's trouble. You've heard it called the, the Great Tribulation Period. You, you've seen Kirk Cameron stars in the Great Tribulation Period. Which is fine because, you know, he's, he's aged well. I mean, if you're going to pick somebody to star in the tribulation, I guess it'd be Kirk or Scott Bayo, But I guess we, you know, you got to go with what you can get. Chapters 6 through 9 comes after chapters 4 and 5. It always has. It always will. i got to figure out how to spell tribulation. My multitasking has gone downhill as I have aged. Somewhere around 40, I stopped being able to write and talk at the same time. Revelation 6-19 through 19 is that great tribulation period on the earth, which is where we find ourselves. But after that period of time is over, Jesus comes back, this time not for judgment, but with us, with tens of thousands of his saints, Jude says, and brings forth this thousand-year period that we refer to as the millennium. It's a time of peace, of prosperity, a time where Jesus comes back and says, uh, Isaiah says, the government will be on his shoulders, I was talking with my children this week, I believe the reason for that is simple, that we've tried it every which way but loose. We'll be able to look back over thousands of years of human history and say, yeah, we tried that one, that didn't work, that one looked good on paper, that didn't work, so we'll be able to look to Jesus and say, oh, you got this one. I'm not gonna be second guessing him, because I'll have seen that they all failed. In chapters 20, we get to see that. And then chapters 21, Through 22, just for the purposes of uh, quickness this morning, is the time where a new heaven, a new earth is formed. A time where Jesus brings us all together, Satan is thrown away into a fiery pit for the rest of time, and we get to live happily, or as the Duck Dynasty guys would say, happy, happy, happy. It's not a hard book to understand if you take it in the chronological order. I I do this from time to time because I want us to remember we're not drinking from a fire hose here. We're drinking from the rivers of living water that Jesus promised. And we're in chapter 7 where we see, again, this is the time of tribulation on earth, the time of things that are going on here, a time that have, have never been seen before, it says. Suffering and a time of earthquakes, and wars, and and bad stuff, and while that sounds awful, because it is, there's something great going on at work, because Jesus is looking back to us, the the, the humans, (laughs) the Gentiles, if you will, those that rejected him, and when you begin to see, I mean, think about what happened right after 9-11. It was awful, and it was terrible, but man, the churches were full, and they were full because all of a sudden... We were uncertain of the future. Now, the reality is we're already... A, there's an uncertainty right now, but we have this ability as humans to ignore or pretend that it's not happening. We put our head in the sand. We kind of like, oh, it's going to be great. But there's a world out there right now that is incredibly uncertain. But in a time like this, right after 9 and 11, there was no question this was an uncertain time in our world. It came home to roost in our lives. But the other thing that's going to be happening during the Great Tribulation period was God made a promise to a man in Genesis chapter 12 named Abraham and he said to Abraham I'm going to make you your wife Sarah a great nation and Abraham initially thought that was kooky talk and his wife thought it was even more kooky but God made a promise to him and his descendants that he was going to make, not an ethereal kingdom but an actual nation. He would make that promise again in Genesis chapter 15 in a covenant that wasn't just about him and his people but about the land that he would have as his land, which would, by the way, all the way from the Mediterranean all the way to the Euphrates River. At the height of Solomon's reign, they only occupied 33,000 square miles of that at the height and it's 300,000 square miles at the height of the kingdom they were only occupied 10 percent today they occupy less than that significantly but I look to the future and I see that what he brings out here in Revelation 7 is curious to me because it is 144,000 Jewish Billy Graham's so to speak 144,000 Jewish evangelists that will be untouchable during this time of great tribulation on the earth because God is using it to awaken the nation of Israel. There's indication in Hosea chapter 2 that it's actually going to happen early on during this time. I think it's Hosea chapter 5 verse 15 and uh, 6 chapter 1 if you want to write it and go later. It talks about early in the morning of the third day. Incidentally, it was 2,000 years ago that Jesus walked on this earth. We are in the morning of the 3,000th year. Peter would say that in the, in the, in the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is like a day. We're literally in the morning of the third day. Hosea chapter 5, 15 says, in the morning, in the early in the morning, will they cry out to me during this period of time? But what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> what it means is we're in the morning of the third day. What it means is he says, we won't know the day or the hour, but you'll know the seasons. And the reason that Revelation is important is I think the leaves have begun to change. uh, Not only in our own country, but around the world. And I think that the season is different. And so the question would be, for you, for me anyway, if that's accurate, and if we're in this and we're getting to a point where Jesus is going to return And I look to the future, and I see, yeah, there's going to be these 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams that I believe is part of the promise God made thousands of years ago to Abraham, that he's going to keep his word, that I can be certain of that word. That's great, Darren. What does all that mean for me? I'm glad you asked. Because when you look around, it's impossible. If you are looking... Again, we can get into a mode where I'm not aware of anything going on. I don't want to see what's on the news. I don't want to know. I get that. But the fact is, is just this morning, things are changing again on the ground in Egypt. Obama, that's actually the Syria one, but there's, let me get you the right picture you would think i had this already lined up we should have some music for when i have to do something like this <laughs> egypt <laughs> you're like they look like egypt to me anyway is widening its crackdown of what they're describing as islamists they're widening their battle lines that are happening this is happening like today in egypt hundreds of people into the thousands now have died in egypt which incidentally borders on israel They actually reopened their border to Gaza Strip this week. But I look to what's happening in Egypt, and are you aware, I mean, just by show of hands, is everybody aware that something's going on in Egypt? Like, completely clueless of it, you're aware? There's stuff going on in Egypt that affects us 100% right here in our own backyard. Have you filled up with gas lately? All of the fuel, the majority of our fuel, I should say, the cost of our fuel is is 100% dependent on what's going on there because there's that little thing called the Suez Canal that all the fuel has to go through to get to us. When that stuff is going crazy, that affects us. And it can create uncertainty in our own financial markets. Speaking of financial markets, my daughter Lauren this week, we're driving to school and, I, and she says, uh, we have a 20-minute drive and she throws a little uh, question out there. She says, Dad, what do, what do we, how do we switch over? If we end up switching over all the money, how do they do that? Now, keeping in mind, it's like 6.20, 6.40 in the morning. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, well, you know, of all the money, if we have to turn it or change it, then we have to get new money, how do we do that? And so I'm pressing, I'm thinking, oh, because she's been listening to me and talking about hyperinflation. And So I'm like, okay, I'm kind of proud now, my kid, you know, she's smart. She's asking me the questions. So I asked her, well, well, how did you find out about this? What are, you, what are you talking about? She said, well, you know, with all the debt that's going on, it's, it's, it's like, a, a, like a million dollars or something. I'm like, well, no, it's a little bit more than that. Try 17 trillion. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's a big number. How do, how do, what happens when I mean, we're in trouble? And So you know, I, we talked for a little bit. We had 20 minutes. We're talking about this, and you know, I'm encouraging her with certainty of God's promises, and, and I finally asked her, because I'm what I'm looking for is the, well, you know, I learned, I learned it from you, Dad. So I was like, Lauren, where did you hear about this from? Where did you learn this from? And she said, on Instagram. <laughs> with a straight face. And I'm sure what it was was one of those memes or something floating around with a picture of what a trillion dollars looks like next to. And I bring that up because even if you maybe don't feel uncertain right now of the future and what's happening, your kids might. Because if your kids have Instagram, if they have Facebook, they are seeing things, hearing things that this middle schooler was weighing on her heavy enough that she was trying to figure out how do we fix this problem if we have to get new money. So if you don't think it's important, I would challenge you to say it is important, if not for you, then for your own children, as fathers, as mothers, to lead and disciple our children to let them know that if there's any job as a parent we can give them is to give them certainty. Certainty, which is, seems kind of hard to think about certainty when you are in a world where this was out last night that the U.S. is moving forces towards Syria. We've got boats lining up in the Gulf. Supposedly, there's a chemical attack that has happened this week, and this red line has crossed, and the news reports that David Cameron from uh, England is, okay, we'll get one more chance. It's like that little kid, like, okay, don't do that again, or I'm going to do this. Okay, well, and then he does it. Okay, one more chance, and then you're going to get another. So we're at the one more chance phase of this. And it kind of makes it a little uncertain, doesn't it? Because as a, as a U.S. guy, uh, as a guy that knows we have 17 trillion in debt. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it feels a little bit like a game of whack-a-mole, doesn't it? Like, we hit this one, and the other one pops up, another one here and pops up, and how do we, how do we move forward in this in an uncertain time as this? And I believe that if I get myself caught up and I'm looking for my certainty, if I'm going to teach my children certainty of God's promises to them based upon some new military tactic based upon some new political party coming into being, based on if we can just get our guy in office, then we'll be able to. If that's the certainty I'm looking to promise them, I would ask you to take a look at the last 40 years and ask how has that really worked out for us? When our guy, or your guy, or the guy, and it just, because it was never about our guy. It was never about me finding certainty in that because what I find is more uncertainty when I'm looking to the things around me, things that I have no control over. The temptation would be to find it on things like Facebook, Instagram in my daughter's case, looking for good news out there, looking for somebody that agrees with my deal. And interestingly enough, if you were to go to the internet and to look for your certainty there, I don't know if you're aware of this, most of you probably are. There's a lot of smart people in here. But when I just do a Google search, whether it's Egypt unrest or Islamic radicalism, or Google will go through 25 mm. billion pages of information to try to tailor information for me. It's like there's a library with this infinite amount of information, but it's like... There's no like Dewey Decimal. Remember the Dewey Decimal system? What a sham that was, right? The, the Dewey Decimal system. Apologize if I've offended proponents of the Dewey Decimal system. <laughs> Filling up this whole room with books and like hoarders, but with books trying to find the information. So Google's job, they've said, is to try to find the information that is relevant to you. In fact, the way that they have customized what they call algorithms, the things that we're looking for to search Eric Schmidt Schmidt, who is the CEO he said that in the future it's gonna be hard for people to watch or consume something that has not in some sense been tailored for them to say that in another way I do a Google search you do a Google search for the exact same words our results will be different what's gonna be in the top pages will be different from mine based upon yours, because Google is tracking what I'm clicking, they're tracking what you're clicking, they're tracking what is relevant to you. And if you listen to their guys talk about what they're looking for, is the goal is information that is relevant to you. What's interesting to me is, and I watched through it, I spent some time this weekend researching, what I never heard any of the guys from Google, Facebook, any of these guys say was that one of the, the, uh, one of the goals for you with your information was relevant, but I didn't hear them say that they were looking for accurate information. Only relevant information based upon what you've clicked on. And you think, well, that's, a, that's not a problem because I'm looking for, you know, they're trying to, so they can sell ads to us. So I literally, I Googled a pair of shoes uh, because uh, somebody gave them to me as a gift and I was being really shallow, trying to figure out how much I spent on them. And and if you, I'm serious, it's just it's what it is. Now, funny enough, when, <laughs> one of those things I did a Google search for, and Daniel Bass's picture came up uh, in it, which was uh, fascinating because you're completely irrelevant to the shoes or whatever I was Googling. Actually, I sent him a little tweet going, what on earth are you showing up in this Google search for? That was funny to me. Uh, But after I did that, now in my little Facebook news thing on the side is this pair of shoes and it shows up all the time because Google or Facebook has decided that that is relevant to me. In fact, Zuckerberg, and you would say, what's the problem behind this, Darren? This is great. I should be able to get information that is relevant to me. What Zuckerberg said, which I think summed it up extremely well, was he said that there will in your life and my life, that there might be a time where a squirrel dying in front of your house may be more relevant to your interests right now than people dying in Africa. And he's right. And when I allow the algorithms of a machine to tell me what is relevant to me, what ends up happening is this. I begin to build my own little kingdom of information and I don't even know it. Because what's happening in my little newsfeed, I'm not seeing anything other than what I is interesting and relevant to me. So if there is news or important things that are important in my life but aren't relevant, then I don't get to see them. So I can build this, build this little bubble where I don't even think about the kids in Africa or Haiti or Indonesia or what's going on in Syria or what's going on in Egypt because there's an LOL kitty in my newsfeed. I don't get to even know about it because I've clicked myself into an algorithm that doesn't allow me to know the truth. And interestingly enough, by the way, in Daniel 14, about 80% sure on this, you can go Google it. Daniel said that the Lord told Daniel to hold this book and to lock it up until a time where people would go to and fro, which is an interesting thing to have said in those days, because people did not go to and fro. They were on foot. they don't go anywhere, and knowledge would increase. If somebody finds that, tell me to shout it out so I can give you the right one. I think it's Daniel 14. It might be four. Yeah, it can't be 14. Narrow that one down. Yeah, it was Daniel Four. Google it, Put it on the Facebook page. <laughs> There's going to come a time where knowledge is going to increase. 25 billion pages of information available. 12. Daniel? 12-4. That's where the 4 came from. Where knowledge will increase. And what do they say? Uh, the more I know, the less I understand. We have a lot of knowledge and not very much understanding floating around this world right now. Because there is so much information But then it is parsed out, not because it's right or because it's timely or because it's important, but because it's relevant, because as a consumer, I want to know what I want to know. But the other thing Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 was, hey, be careful, in these days there's going to come a time where men will uh, reject sound doctrine and will gather around for yourself teachers that will tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear In that day, that was a very bizarre thing for him to have said because in that day, teachers gathered people to them, not the other way around. And in this day, it says we would gather teachers around us. And you know how that happens? You've got a podcast, don't you? I can pick and choose whichever teachers I want to hear. I can listen to whatever I want to listen to based upon the relevance in my life, based upon, hey, that guy kind of, I don't like the way he said that. I don't. And it doesn't become about accuracy or importance, but it becomes about relevance. And what I wanna hear, we're living in those days, and if you're looking for your certainty based upon that, I believe you might be looking in the wrong place. The internet has done nothing but breed more uncertainty, confusion, and this idea that it would bring our great world together, we'd all be one happy humanity, it couldn't be anything further from the truth. What it has done is it has caused people to draw boundaries. It has caused us to draw circles around, hey, these are my people. I'm a reformed guy and I got, I'm mad about stuff and I'm gonna be making mad posts about theology. I'm, Jesus has saved me and I'm so angry, I'm gonna post about it. You got some of those in your Facebook feed? If you stop clicking on them or stop responding, all of a sudden they start going less and less into your Facebook feed. You've got the angry atheist syndrome going on out there. The trolls that are looking to just be mad about something. It's almost like, and I want to I'm, I've really hesitated to say this because I don't want it to come across wrong, but are you familiar with, in with, um, some of your children maybe have had a struggle with Asperger's syndrome. One of the, the, uh, the things with Asperger's is that a child, I've got a dear friend that has a child that has this, and they, the reason they love Thomas the train, for instance, Is because they can see this big smile on his face. They understand emotion that way. But Asperger's one of the things is it does is it allows it doesn't allow for the person who has it to understand emotions that they see on other people's faces. They don't so they're socially when they get old they can be socially awkward. They're usually brilliant but they can be socially awkward. I wonder if what's happened in our society is it's almost like a form of digital Asperger's that forms on the internet because you got people out there that will just. I mean this this young girl that was just kidnapped last week. You know, she goes to Twitter and she's, because she's, you know, a kid, and that's what they do, and the internet trolls show up. And I saw an interview with her last night, she's like, I had no idea how cruel people can be. Because the internet, there's just, "Ah, you know, you you probably wanted it. You probably, crazy, crazy stuff. Because there's, it's, the, the, the thing is, is the person posting it, it's almost like they forget that there's a real live human on the other side that can even hear or reel or react to it. If I'm looking for certainty and I'm going to Google, if I'm going to the news, if I'm going to social networking, I'm not going to find it there. There has to be a place to find it. There has to be. God wired us in a way where we would need certainty. That's part of the human condition. And if you're feeling uncertain, news parents, about the world around you, Your kids are going to feel that at home. Some of you already struggle with those things in your own marriage, and your own homes, but if you're living with this sort of, it just begins to bleed into you because I'm uncertain about the future and I'm uncertain about this. So you're making decisions out of fear. You're making decisions maybe even with your kids where you're building up these walls to try to protect them and... Becoming maybe uh, some maybe overprotective because I've got this uncertainty. There's all this crazy stuff going out there. there might, we might have a war in Syria this week. Egypt is going crazy. I don't know what's going on. And in my mind, just Googling, Googling off, I could find out if I just, maybe I'll get some good news because our guy's an officer. I'm going to look to social networking and encourage myself. And Interestingly enough, by the way, you probably saw this report, was it last week or two weeks ago when the Wall Street Journal put the article out about that the, one of the biggest causing cause, uh, causers, causes of depression in America? Facebook, which was just replaced by Instagram. And why is that? Because when I'm looking at my little thing on my little Facebook or my little Instagram, what I see is this picture of somebody who was all dolled up, who looks awesome at the beach with the awesome burger and their life is dominating, and I'm out mowing five acres on a mower that's hot and I got stung by a wasp, but I'm like, my life stinks. They're on the beach. Not realizing that they took 20 different options of that selfie. Oh, I got a double chin. I look like this, then the chin won't be quite double and I'm gonna get it just right and I'm gonna do the thing. Of course you look awesome. You took 50 options and then you filtered it and you look great. But it's interesting side effect is that it's causing depression in our society. Isn't that interesting? We're getting ready to land this thing, FYI. Jesus said that there would be 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe. Over the years, it's been tortured to mean that that might not be actual Jewish people. In fact, there are religions that have come up, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. That's usually a red flag. If you're looking for a cult red flag, not that you need one, but you know, besides, hey, we're going to move to a compound and make sandwiches together. The other one is they all think they're part of the 144,000. We're that select group. And then it gets to be a problem like the Jehovah's Witnesses when you got to 144,000. Crap, didn't see that coming. So now it's like a special thing so you have to kind of rewrite the whole deal. I don't know how clearer God could have made it than to say that these 144,000, 12,000 each from every tribe would be represented in this. Here's why that's important to me, here's why it's important to you. Starting around the time of 312 when Constantine is in power in Rome, the Christians had been, had spent 300 years almost of being murdered and massacred and burned alive and dipped in hot wax and terrible things were happening and Constantine wins. Up until this point, what the Christians preached was the kingdom of God. The kingdom is coming. What did Jesus preach? The kingdom. The word born again appears three times in the New Testament. The word kingdom, the kingdom of God, 175 times. They preached the kingdom, the kingdom is coming. But Constantine gets in power, and all of a sudden the kingdom is there. Congratulations, we got our guy in power, the Christian coalition, we dominated, we got our guy. But when your guy is in power, it suddenly makes it more difficult to speak out against this world or the kingdoms of this world because your guy is in power. So it falls out of fashion to say that the kingdom is coming. And the theologians of those days, a guy named Origen, begins to rewrite it and say, okay, well the promises that were for Israel, the specific group of people, it's not really Israel, that can't be Israel because there is no Israel. So it's got to be instead, for the church, for the Christians. So the blessings that would come for the Christians, or for the uh, the people of Israel that were promised, were now for the Christians. We have stepped in place of that, and awesome. It would be made more popular by Augustine, remember him? Quoted him sometimes. He makes it more popular to say that, yeah, Israel, they were Christ killers. These guys killed Jesus. God has replaced them with you and with me, with believers. And from the soil of that teaching of replacement theology, Martin Luther would begin to write. And Martin Luther, at the end of his life, wrote amazingly hateful, anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish stuff. From the soil of this replacement, this idea that the Jews killed Jesus that they were gone, and now there's no nation anyway, so we have to rewrite it to make it fit this new thing that seems like it's going on in the earth. So it was that, and it was Hitler and the Third Reich that would build their theology off of the idea that the Jews are less than, because they killed Jesus. It's demonic, it's damnable. Born in the idea that God broke his promise to Abraham, Five covenants made with the Jewish people. Four of them, unconditional. The only one that was conditional was the Mosaic Law. If you do this, I will do that. And in Deuteronomy 4, he would say to him, and if you don't follow this, then I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to. But I love this. In Deuteronomy 4, it says, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back together. It's not a forever thing. And when you think about it, if you're Satan and you know that Messiah is going to come from a Jewish line, from a Jewish lineage, wouldn't you want to wipe out the entire nation? Because he has no idea which one he might as well wipe them all out. So you see the seeds of anti-Semitism born way back in the Old Testament with Haman, with the Edomites, the Amalekites, the halfway-in-between Anites. Trying to wipe out from the face of the earth this people that God promised because Satan knows if I take this out then God has broken his promise to the Jewish people. He can't have Messiah come. And into the future now because obviously that didn't work in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians it says that had he have known what was going to happen that he wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Had Satan have known he wouldn't have done it. That means there was an oh crud moment for Satan. He thought he had won and whoa that didn't work out but now to the future Jesus says I will come back I will set my foot down a literal kingdom not metaphor set my foot down split the Mount of Olives in half set up a literal kingdom no wonder Iran Syria Iraq Egypt whatever regime is in power whether it's a Sunni or Shia they have one thing in common and that is their absolute demonic hatred for the Israeli people. No wonder they want to wipe them off the face of the earth. In the words of Ahmadinejad. In the words of Morsi who is in prison right now. But make no mistake. He's not going anywhere in Egypt. Saying that the uh, Jewish people are born of monkeys and apes. In their schools in Gaza and in uh, the West Bank. They teach him from such an early age. This satanic thing. Now listen to me Carefully. Islam is your enemy. Listen, but not people. The religion is demonic and it is hateful and it is awful, but the people they're not your enemy. They're hostages and we do not shoot hostages in the war. The enemy is Satan and what he has done and twisted it. And and the reason I'm bringing this the scenic route, I feel like we're like circling the airport here looking for, for the clouds to clear so I can land this thing. in an uncertain world, I want to lock myself up, I don't want to reach out to Muslim people, I don't want to reach out to anybody, I want to be safe, I want my kids to be safe, I want, that's not what Jesus asked us to do. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. That includes Egypt and Syria. And that means some of us aren't coming home. But how awesome is it going to be on the other side of eternity? I had a brother, a friend from a long time ago, was in Egypt just this past week. He knew what was going on. He went anyway. Man, he's down there preaching to the soldiers. He's he has these great stories of escape and being rescued, and how it didn't you know the the trouble. The Muslim Brotherhood is right outside his door, firing weapons, and they didn't you know will not come nigh your dwelling kind of thing going on there. There's amazing stuff going on when you go right into the heart of the kingdom of darkness and say that Allah is not God. Allah is not Akbar. Jesus is Lord. And as it relates to our Jewish brothers and sisters they're surrounded on all sides. It would do well for us to pray to bless those people. God said I'll bless those who bless you. Incidentally by the way in that replacement theology the Christians get the blessings but as it comes to the curses, the, Israel still gets those. That's the replacement theology. Like, it's, it's incongruent. It's completely nuts. For you and I, in a world that might seem uncertain, I want you to know that it is as certain as it has ever been. I can look to the evening news and say, oh, no, no, God actually knew this was going to happen. He's not surprised. He's not freaked out. He's not, oh, Jesus, I didn't see that coming. Get Stop, stop. calm, collected, and we can be too. Because the world itself, I'm not promising you, Jesus didn't promise you a smooth ride. He said, in this world, there's gonna be troubles. In this world, you're gonna have tribulations, you're gonna have trials. But I'm gonna be with you every step of the way. And for those of you that have been to boot camp, Roger, it's a tough time, getting up early, doing a lot of push-ups, being called dog face. I mean, I got enough problems with this, you know, having a soldier, a sergeant, ah, get up, dog face. That's not fun, but on the other side of that, you come out a raging man-soldier. <laughs> Katie, you guys can go if you need to. <laughs> because you went through the boot camp. You went through the trials, the tribulations, the push-ups, the exercise, the work, the this. What, that's what this side of heaven is about. We're building our faith, and when we get to heaven, the language of heaven, I believe, is faith, and you and I, if we follow him, we'll be fluent in that language. Not if we Build a wall around us, and I'm saying, not a literal wall, although I mean that. But even in our social networking walls, even in our friendship walls, even in our Instagram walls, that all I'm going to see is the stuff that I want to see that is relevant to me, and I'm just going to sit there and click, click. Little shot of dopamine. Oh, someone said something nice to me. Dope, dopamine. Ah, I'm gonna give it to... shut it off. We have this idea, and I'm going to say this, and this, you know, we might all walk out anyway. Clicking like isn't doing anything. That's just telling the little circle you have that you liked it. So what we've done is we just sit around a little circle and, oh, that's awesome, that's right, that's you, you know, and rile each other up. And I'm not saying don't ever go click like, but I'm saying if that's all you've done, then you haven't really changed anything. And that's the problem is that the change doesn't happen with the like. The change happens when I've followed the Lord. What do you want me to do today? Go out and interact with this person. Do I need to, do I need to run for political office? Do I need to, Whatever God is calling you to do, we can get lulled into this sleep thinking we already did it. Because I made this little thing, and I, and I, look, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with liking it or being each other's friends on Facebook or Instagram and sharing comments. There's, there's a level of community that exists. I'm not saying that. I don't everybody go out there and you have to go undo your Facebook stuff. But what I'm saying is that that's not enough. that that's like scratching the surface. That's staying inside when there's a whole world around you that, the, that quite frankly, needs us and I can be certain that God has got my back, that he's got your back, and one of the ways that I am certain about it is I look and I see 144,000 Jewish brothers and sisters, 144,000 Jewish Billy Grams, because God said whether it was Hitler or Haman, Saddam, Ahmadinejad, I am not letting him go. These are my people. And here's why this is important, because you're thinking, yeah, but Israel's Israelis have done this and they've done that. Yes! And God said, I love you anyway. And the love story of Christ is that, man, Darren has done this, and he's done that. He's such a jerk. And the Bible tells me they haven't, God loves you anyway. And if he breaks his promise to them, then how could I possibly be certain that he wouldn't break his promise to me? This matters. Because I can look throughout, and they've tried to, people have tried over and over and over again to extinguish the Jewish people. And God, every time, has risen up a standard. He has stopped it. He has, It's the only nation in the history of humanity that was literally the nation disappeared from the face of the earth, was gone for almost 2,000 years, and then was brought back in 1948 out of nothing. And it says, so will a nation be born in a day? Yes, as a matter of fact, it will. God has his hand on that. I don't have to get uh, weirded out. I don't have to be scared. And I don't have to be I don't have to be uncertain and I can look to Revelation chapter seven and say, hey, the future is secure, the future is sound and I can sleep tonight because I am 100% certain that God has my back just like he did Abraham. Not because Abraham was awesome. I mean, look at Abraham's life. He was kind of a jerk. I love you anyway. It's It's what grace is all about and God wants, we're gonna worship right now. I know we're, it's 1150, I know it. But I want us to worship with this in mind. Grace has nothing to do with how hard you can work, how good you can do, how much you can earn God's love. It's his gift to you. Just like he gave this gift to the Jewish people, he's giving it to us. In fact, it says that he's grafting us into their family, not the other way around. Romans 9, 10, 11, go look at it. He's grafting us in there. But if he is that certain with them, then what, here's the question. If you could be that certain, seriously, Tell you what, close your eyes just a second because I want want you to think this as these guys are setting up. If you were that certain, based upon what we've seen, the miraculous interventions, the 1967 war where they were literally surrounded on all sides and they should have been defeated, hundreds of tanks from Egypt, Israel had zero tanks. And God intervened. The the stories of miracles are incredible from that. If you could be certain that what God did for the Israeli people, the Jewish people, that He's going to do for you, how would you live differently today? certain of his love for you, certain of his rescuing power, certain of his ability to come and to love and to rescue and to take you, just like he did with Abraham, how would you live differently? I don't have to be afraid. Is there a family member now that I I need to call and I need to make make amends with? Because I'm certain of God's promises to me, that His grace is real, that even if they reject me, that I am certain of God's love to me, that I can reach out to them. Is it to, is it God knocking on the door of your heart to go do something, whether it's mission work, whether it's changing jobs, a relationship that you need to pursue, one that you need to end, but you have a certainty now because of God's love, God's mercy, God's grace is as certain as it is for you as it was for Abraham and you believed that, how would you live differently? I'm challenging you this morning to believe it and then to go live like you believe it. And in those moments where oh, I'm kind of uncertain to go back to the word and say, no, no, no. God's got this under control. God's got my back. And tell yourself that out loud. Rewire your brain. No, no, no. Satan, I'm not taking that. I'm going to Promises are for me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The promise of the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. You do not have to live uncertain. God, would you build that certainty in our hearts this morning? Thank you so much for what you're doing globally. And... Might we see it not as something that's super scary, but as like, wow, this is really amazing. You were right. Might we be built in our faith and knowing that you've seen this for thousands of years, you knew this was coming, and so you're not freaked out, you're not caught off guard, and might we be the same as that? And Lord, today as I leave, as my brothers and sisters leave, could we live differently being certain of your grace and your mercy for us? To follow you with passion, follow you with courage, no longer getting my certainty from my little circles, but from you. Lord, make us to be agents of change. It's in your name we pray. Amen.